Selection is king. And that's why you head over to Mohawk Honda. So many people across New York State are looking for their vehicles and they can't find them. Well, that's because the local dealership doesn't have them. Mohawk Honda has all the selection you're looking for, especially when you're trading in your vehicle this summer. you got to get the right price. You don't want to get under what you're supposed to be getting paid for that thing. Mohawk Honda is going to give you your best price for that trade-in vehicle. And I know from experience because I'm riding around on my pilot, and I didn't do the trade-in. I worked with my guy Greg Johnson, Cam McKenna, Brian McKenna, the Ellis, the shot to Aiden Gelch as well, doing great things in the Mohawk family, the Herodin family, and more. I got my ride for the pilot. Best car I've ever driven in my entire life. Love my ride. Pilot, if you want, get some space for the kids and more. Ask about it. Tell them Gaz. Drive around the pilot. I think if Gaz has the pilot, I deserve it and can handle it. You definitely can. Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. Whether you're driving into the capital region or you're coming outside of the 518, stop into Mohawk Honda. Love the crew there and upgrade your vehicle today. Hey, it's Goss. Before we get into this Godzilla Media podcast, I want to tell you about our friends over at Tech East Fire and Water Restoration. Your best way back to normal, tefirewater.com is their website. Fire, mold, water damage to the place you're living in right now. What do you do? So many people, like myself, freak out because they're not exactly sure who to call, who they can trust when something awful happens to your home and who can fix it. That's when Techies Fire and Water Restoration will step up for you and help you get back to normal. Mike Corda and his team over there have done a fantastic job. And my pal LeVac, man. LeVac is learning more about the restoration business. You can hit up LeVac on social media, at the Jeff LeVac, if you want, if you've got issues going on in your homes here in the Capital Region. By the way, LeVac and I, LeVac and Gaz, Saturday, July 31st, from 3.30 to 5 o'clock, we'll have our little pregame show ready for you. And I say a little because we're going to be jammed in that office inside the Albany Empire spot, inside the Time Union Center, getting you ready. If you want to listen to LeVac and Gaz, Apple, Spotify, live on Godzilla Media's YouTube page, and also on the Techies Fire and Water Restoration Facebook page, facebook.com slash TE Fire Water. That's where you can listen and watch the broadcast. Your best way back to normal, tefirewater.com. Now, on to this Godzilla Media podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the M&M&M Across the Board podcast, our debut podcast. M&M&M, and we're going to... We'll kind of uh, introduce everybody so you guys can get a feel for all of the M's involved. I'm going to start not with myself. Let's start with Sean Martin. Sean, give us a wave, Shawnee. Sean Martin is a freelance sports writer for the Times Union in Albany, New York, and the author of Dear Liam and Noah, Letters for Daddy, which can be found on Amazon if you're interested. Awesome book. So he's a uh, freelance writer and also an established author. We were very uh, diverse group here. Uh, down below me, Eric McDowell. Give us a wave, Eric. Yes, Eric has worked in collegiate and professional sports communications, including NCAA schools at all three levels and the NBA. And last but not least, I am Ashley Miller. I am a uh, Syracuse graduate, proud Syracuse graduate, and I'm a sports broadcaster, anchor reporter at the NBC affiliate News Channel 13 in Albany, New York. As we said, this is Eminem and M across the board. We're so happy that you're joining us. And we hope uh, you get excited. We can find you can be we can be found. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. That's at MMMATB1. That stands for M and M and M across the board. And this week we got three topics for you, among many other things: the Olympic Games, the ever-changing landscape of college football conferences, basketball conferences. We're kind of gonna hit it all. And last but not least. Major League Baseball, as we approach the trade deadline later this week, and we are two weeks out from the postseason, we'll give you some predictions and thoughts on maybe who's in, who's out. Mr. Eric McDowell, let's start with you. You've got a hat to introduce yourself first. This is something unique that Eric brings to the show. Eric, let's get going with the Olympic Games and uh, introduce us to your hat. Well, welcome to both of you and to those of you watching. We're all going to have a lot of fun with this, and, and we're great friends as well. And uh, these other two really know a lot of sports, so it's great to be a part of it. But each week we'll present a hat, and each hat has a story. And, of course, what better timing than the Atlanta Olympics? Can't believe that 25 years ago, I think this is the wildest hat because it's a touristy hat. But this is the one that we got for working at the Atlanta Centennial Olympic Games 25 years ago when I was only 10. Now, the Centennial Olympic Games in Atlanta in 1996, unfortunately, are best known 
for the worst thing that happened, and it was a bombing. And uh, we've seen the movie. We know that, that Mr. Jewell was uh, not guilty. But I do want to touch on that because when I was assigned to work at the main press center, I didn't get a sport. And Ashley and Sean in the local media here know that my passion is working with the media. So they look at your resume, they discuss it with you, and then they say, we are assigning you to the main press center. Sounded pretty cool, and it was. All the statistics, all the results come to you. You distribute, you double-check them, whether it's basketball or badminton or yachting. Didn't matter. And so it was a great gig. And then because of staffing and overseas, Overnight media's deadlines, of course, are a lot different than they are in our Eastern time zone. I was assigned to the overnight shift with a staff of 12. Unfortunately, one evening at quarter after one, there was a bombing outside the main press center. And uh, when something like that occurs, the Olympic experience or whether it's working an event at a campus, it's our feeling that you've got to get out there and help to keep the media away from what was going on. It was the most unique experience professionally and personally. So my Olympic experience is much different than others. But what's really good about this is that I had the help to put that together, to get out there and to make sure uh, that things were going fine inside, but also outside that the all of the people that had our official Olympic jerseys, many of them had been partying. They'd been out, you know, finished with their sport duties. It was a very surreal evening. There was fear. There was uh, a lot sucked out of the Olympic logo and a lot of the excitement. And that was the unfortunate part. What I want to remember was not just going to events as a fan, but going around uh, where the park is, Centennial Olympic Park, uh, going to see young children from all around the world and with families and just a melting pot. And the Olympic rings is about being together. And politics aside and all of that stuff, the fact of the matter is, is that for that week, about eight days, everybody was together. Now, when they play, that's a different story. Watching a men's field hockey game between Croatia and Yugoslavia was, you talk about rivalries that we've talked about in the past, that's what that was about. But to me, the melting pot of seeing people together, seeing the joy and the awe, and then seeing some of the athletes away from the events and to be able to talk to them. And this is really before email, per se. We actually had logins where we could go and write certain athletes. And there was a young lady named Jenny Thompson. Probably heard of her, one of the best female swimmers long before Katie Ledecky came onto the scene. And she was from New Hampshire. And I could write to her and say, because I'd met her in New Hampshire, and say, boy, you're doing great. And it, it was amazing. And so when I think of the Olympics now, and I think about 25 years ago, uh, it's emotional because I was a part of something uh, that really was very difficult and very upsetting. And yet uh, I want to remember all of those wonderful moments uh, and also getting the results that would come in from like the women's basketball and Tara Vanderveer, for example, uh, a gold medal that helped brought, bring in the WNBA. It was a remarkable time. And uh, as long as I live, uh, the Olympics will be very, very special to me uh, because of the opportunity that I had to assist, but more so just to see everybody come together. It was truly remarkable. And for anybody that has the opportunity, uh, when things get back to normal, to go to the Olympics like we did uh, here in the U.S., take advantage of that. It's not just about sports. It's about people. So, Ashley, thank you for this opportunity to lead off with this because we know the Olympics right now uh, are very important to everybody, and it's exciting to see all of the athletes, even without the crowds. Listen, it's Olympic time. Uh, you're, I think you probably have a much more unique, obviously, memory of that and much more indelible memory of that, and I guess in some ways a negative memory, which you have overcome to, you know, move on and become positive, but like uh, my memories of the Olympics. So I interned at the Olympics. I didn't even, you know, officially work in a capacity, but I interned with NBC at the 2006 Olympics in Torino, Italy. So I got to get on a plane, Eric, and go, you know, see some <laughs> sights. not that Atlanta isn't great, but uh, Torino, Italy is uh, something to behold. And I was a sophomore in college at the time, uh, went over there and I was assigned to the cross country skiing venue, which 
listen, I don't know how y'all feel about cross-country skiing. I was not thrilled when I got the assignment knowing like, okay, there's bobsledding, there's downhill skiing, Bodie Miller was there, there's, you know, figure skating, there's so much cool stuff at, at the Winter Olympics. And let me tell you, I have a newfound, or not newfound anymore, but I had a newfound appreciation for just the abilities of all athletes. Like cross-country skiing is one of the most difficult sports I've ever seen in person. And these athletes are some of the best on the planet. And I think that can almost be said for just Olympic athletes across the board. They, they all have their own unique um, abilities and maybe not all are as athletic as the other, but the intelligence, um, the athleticism of, of certain, certain athletes, it's just unbelievable. And to see it firsthand was pretty incredible. And I always laugh because I tell this story. You get this big old credential and you'll see everybody <laughs> yeah. wearing the same thing. It's like a, it's this, this long, it's got your face on it and your name on it and who you work for. And it was, I went to, we were two hours outside of Italy, uh, of Torino in a little town called Progelato in the mountain venues where cross country happens. And then just down the road, downhill skiing um, happens as well and ski jumping. And I tried to use my credential, you know, to get into the stands to watch some of the downhill events. Cause who doesn't want to watch that? No, no, no. You can't go. You can't go into the stands. You can't, but you can go stand at the finish line. All right. Not a, I guess that's not a bad, you know, second option. So that's one of my biggest memories um, from the Olympics in Torino is just being able to be up close and personal. And obviously I was fortunate enough not to have to deal with what you had to deal with um, Eric in, in Atlanta. But like you said, if it's going to happen, that's like, that's the event that people just rally around one another. And normally you're competing, you're competing, but I could see how, you know, countries and athletes would easily come together in that situation. And Sean, you would get a kick out of this is the fact that you couldn't find a badminton set anywhere. Okay. Anywhere in Atlanta, a surrounding when it County didn't matter. Everybody just saw badminton wanted to get sets. And the other thing is, and Ashley would know too, is that when the only time you want to see a fire is with a marshmallow, that's basically the only time, but the best fire ever is to see that torch. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the, the Ali moment uh, in 96 in Atlanta, I actually just watched it again the other day. It was riveting. I guess for me, maybe I'm the Olympic fan in the crowd. You guys have had the firsthand working experience. My first Olympic memory, and I don't know why I remember this one, but Dave Waddle, a distance runner back in 1972 with a, a signature white cap. I remember watching him win gold. <laughs> and that's what's great about the Olympics. You get a, you get, you get tremendous athletes that respond to pressure. Think of Michael Phelps during his career. And, you know, anything short of a win would have been would have been a disappointment. And he continued to come through time after time. And even just the other day, Katie Ledecky lost the swim race. And you see people put up superhuman efforts. And you know what? There's just some things that that go beyond nationalities and rooting. And, look, I root for the Americans to do well every year. But sometimes, you know what, being a guy that does sports writing, I also root for the best story because there's some great moments that come of them, even for athletes that don't medal, just athletes that are there competing and seeing here what they have overcome and everything. And it's what the, makes the Olympics so special. My favorites are probably swimming and track and field. I cover track and field uh, for the newspaper, and they're relevant every four years. Uh why? I don't know. Not for me to decide, but that's it. But they take center stage spotlights. They're a lot of fun to watch in the Olympics, uh, you know, for the two weeks. Um, it's just great, great to sit back and watch all the great athletes. Having worked on, we do a show called the Olympic Zone at our station and having worked on just kind of like local profile pieces on some of the smaller sports. Sean, I think to your point, when you talk to the track and field athletes, they will tell you, listen, a football player's dream is to play in the NFL. A baseball player's dream is to play in the major leagues. An NBA player or a basketball player's dream is to play in the NBA. A track and field athlete, their dream is to play in the Olympics. It's not to run professionally. It, it's to play in the Olympics. That's the ultimate for them. So it's the one time, I think, every four years when it's even more exciting when those fringe sports get the recognition that they deserve. Like I have spent more time watching water polo and handball and all of these sports that I probably have never watched before in my life. And you know, you open it opens and you're like, well, I don't even know the rules. And then 10 minutes in you like you think, you know, strategy and you're cheering for certain things to happen. This is a great time to be alive and to be a sports fan because the there is nothing like the Olympics. And it, I always am so happy for those athletes who get 
the long de deserved recognition that they haven't gotten until now. And, and our country is all based on professional sports, really. You, you don't hear about track and field until there. You don't hear about water polo until there. We have a 10-year-old daughter, as you both know, and she was glued. She's seeing sports. Of course, she's going to watch gymnastics, but she's seeing sports she's never seen, okay, and wouldn't seen again for, see again for another four years. But the passion, we talk about, you know, New York and Boston and all that, that is piddly compared to what these countries have for the passion that these – these athletes, when they come back to their country, whether they got a silver, gold, whatever, when they come back, they are heroes. They will be, you know, we hear about the White House, but then suddenly things die out. You know, I met Carrie Strutt and, and she was doing great. And then suddenly it becomes a little quiet and all that stuff. She didn't mind that. But back there, they're, they're just so much passion with these countries. And actually, you saw that as just it was great to go to different sports during the day after two hours of sleep. But to really see how passionate these people are, and when they go back home, they appreciate all of the work that they have done uh, to get to this crowning achievement. Just to be there and to walk at that ceremony, holding the flag is the epitome. But just to be there and walk into the stadium, it's tearful not to see fans be able to be there to honor those kids as they walk into the stadium. But passion's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't yeah. know how you guys feel about this, but, like, how do you feel like – and I think you touched on it, Eric. Other countries maybe view the Olympics and winning that medal differently than Americans do. I feel like a lot of times we want to win just to be able to say, especially in the big sports like basketball, we want to be able to win just to be able to say we're the best and to be able to uphold that standard that we have for ourselves that we're the best at everything. But I think, you know, the swimmers and the track athletes, winning gold for them, even in the U.S., is just that it, it, it means so much more than just saying, well, I'm the best at something. Like they actually feel like they're representing their country. With the NBA, I don't necessarily get that that's why they're doing it because they really love, you know, what they're representing. I think it's just like, well, we have to go do it because we have to prove that we're the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you want to think that the uh, NBA players consider it to be an honor to represent their country. Um, do they have the same passion for what they're doing uh, for other countries? I'm not so sure. It's hard when you're the top dog and have been so for so long. Uh, it's almost natural. I'm not surprised they lost a game uh, the other day to France. And, you know, the, the other countries, they're gunning for you. And it's a it's it's not even a season maker, a sense an Olympic make for France. That's a big deal that, that, you know, hopefully for them will carry over in future years that find out, Hey, we can, we can hang with the, uh, with the top countries in the world at the sport. The last thing for me is what's nice now with television, there'll be more opportunities, but two weeks after it's over, it's really not over because of the Paralympics. Now I'm an emotional person. And when I've watched that, I've lost it. So Watch Jessica Long swim, okay? And think about all of the challenges that all of them have. To qualify, you have to have regulations that two limbs do not work correctly. Actual physical limitations to allow you to compete in the Paralympics. And the challenges that those athletes have had just blow us all out of the water, no pun intended. So when you when this is over, folks, take a look at the Paralympics. Listen to the fabulous features that people like Ashley and Sean do on these athletes. And then you'll come away and say, I can accomplish anything because they can too. Yeah. Hey, real quick, Eric, to back to your point about bringing together. I go back, when you're talking about that, I go right back to 1980 with the U.S. hockey team. The country was in a funk economically, the Iran hostage situation. That hockey team turned things around in this country as one group, 21 kids, a great coach, and boy, do they do wonders, not just for themselves, but for everybody. And and you talk about closing the um, closing the Olympic ceremonies. I like to watch that to see who's carrying the flag for, for which country. You know, it's usually a great heartwarming story, somebody that's overcome great odds and done something real special, and that's always fun to see who's going to carry the flag. Absolutely. And I think something that I thought was really cool kind of to wrap this up, the age of some of these athletes, I mean – First of all, I'm a huge softball fan. You've got a 38-year-old who's one of their best pitchers who has waited 13 years to get back on the softball field because, oh, by the way, they got rid of softball as an Olympic sport for a while, and it won't be back again until 
hopefully LA. Um, but the age of some of these athletes, you had a gymnast in their forties, which is absolutely ridiculous. You have a gold and silver medalist in the sport of women's skateboarding. Both of them are 13 years old. So like that to me just kind of is mind blowing uh, in terms of the age of some of these athletes. Like what were you guys doing when you were 13? <laughs> I, I wasn't doing that. No. 60 year old fencer. Isn't that yeah. awesome? Yeah, really it's awesome. wild. It's wild. Some of the stuff is totally incredible. Really cool. Well, it was good to relive that. Um, we're going to move on. But first, just a reminder, we are Eminem and M across the board. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Twitter, at MMMATB1. If you're looking for us, YouTube as well. So please search us out. We hope you join us uh, from here on out. Eric, Sean, and Ashley here with you. Um, moving on, we're going to go We're gonna go. me next here. Go for My it. topic? All right. Well, we had some breaking news today. It was awful timely, guys. Uh, we had heard for a long time about Oklahoma and Texas potentially wanting out of the Big 12. Well, this morning, they formally asked the SEC for an in. We knew it was coming. We maybe didn't think it would all kind of transpire this quickly, but the caveat is, is they want in, but not until after their, their media rights deals are up, which isn't until July of 2025. So they're not willing to foot the big money, which was between 75 and $80 million that it would have cost them to get out of the Big 12 to move into and then make this superpower of a football conference. It basically already was. And now it really would be if you add Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. So it won't happen for a few years, but we've seen a lot of this. It seems like it's a crazy time to be a college sports fan. Uh, we've, ta we've talked about college football playoff realignment potentially. We've had the NIL stuff come down this summer. And now the potential shifting of conferences yet again. Sean, I know you've got an opinion on this because – your beloved Nebraska Cornhuskers went through this not so long ago. Where do you stand? I'll tell you where I stand. Um, Nebraska left the Big 12 because they got tired of the Big 12 uh, licking the University of Texas's um, spurs. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, this one bothers me because they're loyal to themselves. And I get, look, I get it. You're all in business for you. That's a business. Okay. You're in it for, for yourself, but you also need to have opponents if you're going to play. And, you know, I, I kind of thought we were done with this after the last wave, the, which eliminated the Big East, which for me in, in basketball is just a travesty. But, yeah, as a Husker, I'm not surprised to see Texas do this. And Oklahoma, look, if 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 your rival's going to go, you might as well go with them, right? And especially if the dollar signs are fine. I don't think it's going to take till 2025. I think someone's going to pony up some cash and they're going to get out of there pretty quick. I do feel badly for the remaining teams in the Big 12 because um, now the scramble is on. And the Big 10, I would expect them to react in some form. Uh, I've even heard the Pac-12. I read the other day that USC may end up in the Big 10 as part of a kind of a merge and then the big 10 may look out and post some of the pac 12. So the big 12 is probably on its way out. And now the pac 12 is in danger because the ACC is going to be snapping people up. West Virginia ge geographically makes sense for them. Um, you know, and I think the geographic part of all this is going to go away too, because now you're just going to put teams in conferences. You, you'll lose a lot of that, um, you know, rivalry as far as geographics go, but, it is what it is, but yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Texas is, is part of the uh, the first wave because they're only in it for themselves. You know, now this is hard to believe, but it's been about a decade since there's been major college athletic realignment. I say major because in D2, D3, and say it's happened quite often where it, it is a domino effect. Oh, here's, here's something to consider at that level is that if you get under eight, you can lose your automatic NCAA bid. So what they do is they scramble to get another college, and unfortunately, sometimes academics may not match, but you can't lose that NC automatic bid at that level. The thing about Big Ten, Big 12, okay, Big Ten, I would say if they're going to take anybody from the Big 12, it's got to be Kansas, and here's why. You have a historic, incredible program about basketball. Football, eh, not so much. But when you think of basketball, Kansas is right there with Indiana. I think that would be a tremendous fit. Uh, you know, keep in mind, too, the Big 12 lost four founding members to other conferences. So somebody has to find a home sooner or later. We know that from Notre Dame. 
you can't look at an Iowa State or Iowa. You've, you've got to look at a powerhouse to bring in and also the media market, as I'm preaching to the choir here. If you can get St. Louis or different media markets into play, you also have your television network in play too. But the last piece about this would be now they're having their own networks, okay? So now you have the network rights, which you hear about with the financial issues, and the ADs do change. You don't have ADs and presidents at institutions forever. So you may have presidents come in, folks, that say, we want it to be a football conference. Look what happened in the Big East. Now all of a sudden, oh, football is a priority over basketball. Oh, wait a minute, now we want basketball. And that's where the money comes in. So it really does not play as much as academic institution as much anymore. It's about the history. But it's very sad to see uh, that traditional rivals are not going to get to play as much anymore. And I would hope we won't even touch the NIL issue, that we won't have the have and have nots. Eric, you mentioned that it's been a decade, and this blew my mind when I looked it up because I thought, man, I still have a really hard time thinking of Nebraska as a Big Ten team, like still. And I thought, oh, when was that? Oh, just a few years ago. And then I looked it up, and I was like, holy crap, it was 2010. <laughs> That's 11 years ago. 2010, Colorado left and Nebraska left. The next year, Texas A&M and Missouri left for the SEC. So there's a history but it's been a little – I feel like we've had a chance to kind of reestablish ourselves and, and just get used to these conferences. And now we're going to go – we're going to flip them on its head. And if we get more movement, like I think we're all expecting, <clears throat> we're all going to be like, who's in what and why? And someone said – or Chris said this to me the other day. Why don't we just eliminate all the conferences? Just make it a free-for-all. Because, like you said, Sean, geographically, it do it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter what conference right. you're in and where you are. Why not just make it a free-for-all? You schedule who you want to schedule, and the college football playoff can do some rankings, and at the end of the year, put in who you think are the eight best teams or the 12 best teams or however many teams you're going to let into this thing. What you're looking at, I think, very quickly, you're going to see the Power 5 devolve to the Power 3 plus Notre Dame. OK, and they may have to take a seat at the table at some point with the ACC just just to stay in it. Somebody may force their hand. Yeah, the Notre Dame, they're able to they've been able to do it for a long time and, and, and stay independent. But eventually that seems where where it's going to go. And, and to your point, Ashley, what what's the point? I mean, how do you have a you know, pick a number 20 team conference when you have 12 games to play? I mean, who do you play? Who don't you play? is it really a conference championship when a lot of teams aren't playing each other? Um, you know, pro sports, NFL, you play everybody in your division twice. It's not even possible anymore in college to play everybody in your conference once. Well, um, here's the thing too for you, Sean, I would say is there's three letters locally that for a college, it's called RPI. But the RPI that comes into play here is, Sean, if you're the athletic director, Ashley, you're the president, you can say, we can get into that league. Our RPI goes up. And then come in March, we're not on the bubble. We're going to get in at 15 and 12 because we're in a tough league. There'll be nine from our league that gets in. And then suddenly poor Atlantic Pacific from the big west, north, south doesn't get in because your RPI is better because of the league you're in, right? The big west, north, south. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the new, it's going to be the newest conference. <clears throat> yeah. I, my question too, though, guys, like it creates, sure, the SEC with these two teams like I said, it was already a power football conference. It did not need Oklahoma and Texas to be that. And to be honest, Texas hasn't been a overly relevant football team in more than a decade. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma has been there, but they haven't won the big game. So I get it. it may, it's better for Oklahoma and Texas, this move, than it is for the SEC. The SEC didn't need them. Will they take them? Of course. But my other thing is... <clears throat> If you're these schools in the Big 12, which it's not the Big 12 anymore, it would be the Big 8 or the Big 10, I guess, uh, which you can't have. But think about some of these schools, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, who you mentioned, Eric, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, West Virginia. If we go just based on basketball, that is not a bad conference. No. Not at all, because at least you have a defending national champion in Baylor, Kansas, who you've already mentioned, Oklahoma State recently has been very good. 
Texas Tech recently has been very good. And West Virginia, oh, by the way, isn't all that bad. You've got five or six schools that are legitimate basketball schools. And I understand they're not football schools, and that's where the big money is. But you can still make money in basketball. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Eric brought up Kansas to the Big Ten, and they would want it for the basketball. Look, I'll take Kansas in the Big Ten on the football field because Scott Frost needs to get as many wins as he can and maybe get to a bowl game. But that's it. it look, it's all it all comes down to the dollar, right? I mean, Oklahoma and Texas can get out, and you know what? You may have a booster that might help them out a little bit with any buyout clause. Uh, money rolls big down there, and. Um, Again, it's it's just the sign of the times. I I'm shocked even even now being a Husker fan that it was ten years ago. I do I wouldn't have guessed that when Eric started talking about. It, I said maybe five or six years. And it's been ten. Um, so it's it's just it's just the way it is. And it's the ever changing landscape, especially of college athletics. Um, and it's going to be an interesting. I'll call it a bloodbath to see how see who gets left uh, when the music stops playing. It's it's unfortunate that not all the sports come into play. I'd rather watch Oklahoma State golfers than their football team, to be perfectly honest with you, because that's a better program, produces better student-athletes. But it is about football and men's basketball. The advantage, though, is that that TV money and everything we're talking about does go down. I don't say dribble, but it's a faucet to those other sports. And hopefully schools will stop dropping these sports as they're doing post-COVID and find a way to make sure that more of that money is funneled to those sports so the young men and women have other sport opportunities in which to continue. We've talked about rivalries in the past, and I understand you can keep that Texas-Oklahoma rivalry, which is a very important one to that fan base because you will now be in the same conference. But if you make this just kind of, okay, this team is going to go to the Pac-12 or from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, you're now going to destroy rivalries And is it going to be easy now if USC leaves the Pac-12 for them to now play a rivalry game with UCLA? You're going to tear apart some of the best parts of sport unless you make it a free-for-all and just let people make their own schedules. Yeah, I mean, we have one rivalry coming back this year. Oklahoma and Nebraska are playing uh, in September. Uh, It's not the typical day after Thanksgiving, but it'll be nice to see. Um, But yeah, and you know what? Again, it, it, it does all come down to the dollar, and I get that. But one of the parts that makes college athletics so special is those rivalries. UCLA and USC both wearing their home uniforms. Texas and Oklahoma in, in the Red River rivalry with 50%. Now, they could still do that, okay? But still, once you start tearing these things apart, you lose those. Um, and that's and that's just a shame. And I'll go back to basketball. Syracuse, Georgetown. Syracuse, Villanova, you go through the whole Big East. I'm on a Big East thing today. It's it's an unfortunate consequence of what makes college sports so special, but it, it is just the reality. When, Auburn, when a tree near the Auburn campus gets vandalized, that person almost got hung. They wanted that person in prison forever. Auburn, Alabama football is beyond. So... You're exactly right about rivalries. I think the best, we'll we'll never have to worry about Army and Navy never playing because when Army and Navy play in football, there is so much respect. The other side lost, but then right afterwards, we're all in this together. They won't leave their their conferences, we hope. Yeah, well, Sean, you talked about the Big East, and, and I'm a huge Big East fan, and I this is just a sign of the times, as we say. I have become a huge ACC fan because my team went from the Big East to the ACC, but look at all those Big East teams. They all scattered. They went from now to the Big East, some are in the Big Ten, some are in the ACC. So you've pulled apart. When I think of my the, the basketball games I look forward to most for the season, it's not Syracuse-UConn. It's not Syracuse Georgetown. Like even if even if Syracuse plays Georgetown, that's not the game I want to see most. It's now Syracuse Duke or Syracuse UNC because you are create like it had that game has to mean something. It became a rivalry because it meant something because they were in the same conferences. Well, now we play Georgetown. It doesn't mean anything. It's a non-conference game. I don't care. Like I I understand there's history, but those players don't don't feel that. I don't feel that because I wasn't around for the heyday of John Thompson and Patrick Ewing. I wasn't around for that. So now you're going to leave behind kind of a whole generation of people who feel these rivalries. Then they're not going to have those anymore. 
And okay, you know, our kids will now grow up to know Florida, Oklahoma as a new, you know what I mean? As a new rivalry, but it's such a strange world we live in. It's like, it's just kind of, you're living in the moment and it's rivalries of the moment. Here at Godzilla Media, we're so happy to bring you all this coverage of all different sports, takes, opinions, personalities, and more. And we're able to do that thanks to great people like our friends over at Johnstone Supply in Troy. Johnstone Supply in Troy has been serving the Capital Region since 1945 for all your HVAC needs. And they always go out to support local small businesses. We're talking about a place right there on 6th Avenue in Troy that can help you and your home today. Now, if you have more information about Johnstone Supply in Troy, hit up my guy Tom. George is the best. And by the way, if you've missed more about Johnstone Supply in Troy, check out an old episode of Getting There with Goss where you can go back and learn more about the business and how they got to where they are today. Call them today at 518-272-5922. Again, 518-272-5922. 5922. And don't forget to follow them on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Johnstone Supply Troy NY. Inside your home, you're always taking care of it. HVAC needs and more. Johnstone Supply in Troy wants to help you continue to enjoy the best home you can. So whether it's heating, ventilating, or air conditioning services, Johnstone Supply in Troy is ready to work with you. Now back to this Godzilla Media podcast. It's uh, it's funny when you talk about that. It, you're right. New rivalries are created, and and that is part of it. Um, yeah, I get it with Syracuse. You know, they uh, I went to a Syracuse UNC game a few years ago, and you're right. And maybe that's just me being old and old and stodgy. Uh, I'll say that, uh, you don't remember Syracuse Georgetown the way I do. I was in college. So, <laughs> uh, one last thing on this too, is about rivalries to or about tradition. Basically yeah. is the, the Rose bowl, when you grew up and we saw Dick Genberg do the play by play, et cetera, was always this league and that league, nobody else. Then all of a sudden recently you see, how did they get that? Oh, it's all selections that that's not right. Those bowl games were assigned and they were contracted. Now they have different names to them. We know it's about money. But we, when you come down to, the, to this stuff, too, you look at a bowl game and you'd remember who it was. Now there's about 71 bowl games. I, I expect to see the 5018 bookkeeping bowl game, and I'll go to that. The guy might get me a free pass to it. Remember those Rose Bowls? Always the same two team leagues. Yeah. And that's. It feels like the way it should be. And I know we're being like old and nostalgic and whatever, but this is what happens when you get things taken away and you think, oh, it's not going to be the same as it used to be. And I know we'll adjust to, you know, the new normal, as we've called it. That's <laughs> everyone's favorite phrase for a variety of reasons. But it just it it rubs you like a little bit the wrong way when you think, oh, but everything I knew and everything that was is going to be different now. And it's just not going to be the same. I guess that's life. Right, guys? Sure thing. Yeah. Great topic. Right, you, guys are, you guys are listening to the M and M. I'm never going to get used to this. M and M and M podcast. Sean Martin, Eric McDowell, Ashley Miller, M and M and M across the board. You can find us in a variety of ways. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and of course on Twitter at MMMATB1, numero uno. Um, and we thank you very much for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation so far. We're going to go in all kinds of directions every different week, so you'll never know what you're going to get here with us. But uh, we're moving on next to Major League Baseball, which everybody loves a good MLB topic. And Mr. Oakland A himself, Sean Martin, what's on your mind? Well, baseball's got about two months left, right? The trade deadline is Saturday. you got a lot of big names talking. Um the Cubs, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, possibly Javi Baez and Craig Kimbrell, almost certain to move. The balance of power in baseball may change in the next few days. Trevor Story from Colorado, Max Scherzer possibly uh, could be an impact player the way Justin Berlander was in Houston a few years ago. Starling Marte, Joey Gallo, Jose Barrios, just a few names that could be on the fly. But pending all that, I was just taking a look at the standings the other day and looking at who I thought who's in a good spot. Who's got some problems? Who could make a run? And uh, division winners right now, I think they're a little bit out over their skis, but I'll say the Red Sox will hold on. I don't trust that pitching staff much. The White Sox, despite having a 114-year-old manager, 
they're playing great baseball and good for them. And uh, yeah, look, I'm a homer. So if the A's can go get a bat and maybe get a little more bullpen depth, I think they're going to win the West uh, and come on in the second half. They've always been a second half team. Wild cards uh, in the AL Tampa. Got to give them credit. They they get rid of all their good or good veteran pitchers and they keep keep on keeping on. I think the Houston garbage cans are uh, sorry. The Houston cheaters. I think they're going to make it. Let's hope it's one and done and they can uh, they can pack it up and work on their wire game in the off season. Uh, National League. The Mets, I don't know if anybody is stepping up to win the NL East, but I'll go with them, especially if DeGrom can come on back and finish up. Milwaukee is uh, a really good, solid team out in the Central. The Dodgers was happy for them to win the World Series last year. I think they'll win their division. They need some more pitching, though, this week. Um, but I think they'll pull it out. Wild card, I think the NL West gets three teams. San Diego is kind of the fun yes. team. They're the fun new team. Um, last year and this year with Tatis and San Francisco. I don't know where they came from. Uh, whoever their pitching coach is should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, World Series, let's go with something different, right? I enjoyed the I enjoyed the NBA playoffs because there were different teams. Like I said, I enjoyed the Dodgers and Kershaw winning last year. Uh, I'm going to take the White Sox over the Brewers. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is back for the White mm -hmm. Sox. Luis Robert coming back soon. Milwaukee, watch them in the playoffs. Their starters are Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta. That team and that pitching staff with Hayter on the back end, that pitching staff is built for short series in October and November. And MVPs real quick, Tatis, give it to him now in the NL. And the AL, I'm going to say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I just have a feeling Shohei Otani, as great as he's been, I think he might come back just a little bit uh, you know, to past history, but I think Guerrero is going to take that, uh, take that MVP. So absent from my list of playoff teams are the New York Yankees. Ashley, what say you? Yeah, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you all of my, my winners, but I have a few thoughts on just some, I think, interesting points. I, what say me about my team, the New York Yankees? I agree with you. I, I don't think they make the playoffs. They are an absolute mess. I, I mean, when you talk about a team that has lost more games that they've been leading this year that they should not have lost. And we talked about this before we came on, but I mean, it feels like every week there's like a gut punch. That's like, how in the world did you lose that game? Domingo Herman is throwing a no hitter into the eighth inning. He gives up one hit. Aaron Boone pulls him with a four, nothing lead and a blink later, literally one out later, it's five to four. It's pretty unbelievable. I mean, the bullpen has been a nightmare. Araldis Chapman was lights out to start the year, and now they're sort of gaining trust in him once again. But, like, you can, and I just, I don't trust the managerial decisions of Boone at this point. I think he's part of the problem. Um, injuries, obviously, are a big deal. COVID, IL, whatever you want to call it. Um, but in a lot of ways, some of the guys that have come up from AAA, like Greg Allen, have been a breath of fresh air because this team has just been so miserable. You're playing these guys so much money. I don't think they make the playoffs. I think that division is too good. Even if Boston doesn't win the division and it ends up being Tampa, Boston gets the wild card. I think, I just think like that, it'll be close. And, and Sean, I, I like your A's. I also think the Mariners are interesting. Not that you want to hear that. But, and this is another thing I looked up, which is absolutely unbelievable to me. The Seattle Mariners currently have the longest postseason drought in the four major major sports. Mm -hmm. Used which, to be the St. Uh, Louis Blues, right. It's crazy. Like, I just think, to me, 2001, because I thought, well, they had to have been in it when Griffey played for them. But then you think about, well, yeah, but 2001 was the last time they were in it, which is, is totally mind-blowing to me. And I think our sense of time, we talked about, you know, the conferences and how long ago teams moved. And it was a decade ago. It was more than a decade ago. This, to me, also is just sort of mind-blowing. Seattle Mariners haven't been in the playoffs since 2001 when they lost to the Yankees in the ALCS. And then we all know what happened after that. Broke my heart uh, in the World Series to the D-backs. But it, it's the Yankees are a no for me. I think the Mariners are interesting for me. I hope for Sean's sake that, that the A's make it. The division that I think – and it's not a surprise, surprise, but I think – the NL West has been so much fun. And everyone would have said, okay, yeah, it's going to be the Dodgers. And then we saw all that offseason movement by the Padres, which you thought, okay, those two teams are going to duke it out. And yet somehow the Giants, I know it's only two games, 
but somehow the Giants are atop that division. To me, that will be the fun. Like, that'll be the one for me to watch uh, as well as your division there, Shawnee. It's fun to think about two divisions that could get both wild cards, and this is very realistic. I think there's a very good chance that it'll be Dodgers, Giants, Padres in any shape or form. I think in the AL East, you could see the two wild cards, and we're not talking about New York. We're talking about Tampa Bay and Toronto at Boston holds on. If anybody watches Toronto, that lineup is sick. It is incredible. It's better, honestly, than the Bell Mosby days when when they had big bats back then. But this Toronto lineup offensively can do a number. And what happens is that's why everybody right now at the deadline, you two folks know every quote, we need pitching. We need pitching. We need pitching. No kidding. Everybody needs pitching. And you know why? Because at one point, a quality start in Major League Baseball was nine innings. Okay. Way back when, if you came out after nine innings and looked at your starter, you'd say, I'm fine, Skip. I'm fine. Now, a quality start is five and a third, three earned. I mean, seriously. So now here we are in August, folks, and everybody's clamoring to have the haters and the good bullpens. And an example is Philadelphia. That has to be one of the worst bullpens we've seen in years. So I'm going to throw to you, Sean. Here are the predictions of some of the guys that you mentioned. I think Bryant goes to the Mets. It is remarkable what the Mets have accomplished. To heck with you know the divisions stepping on each other. It really is with what the injuries. I think Rizzo goes back to Boston, where he came up as a kid, and gets rid of the 208 Mendoza hitting first baseman kid they have. And then I do believe Kimball could go to the Phillies and make a difference. I don't know if his personality would fit in Philly because it's such a low-key, passive market, as we know, with fans. Um, and the last piece when it comes to trade deadline I want to mention is, do you do what you need now and give up a kid? You can't predict. you got to go for it. You, you two may agree with this. If you have a shot, go for it. If you were the Detroit Tigers, okay, get Doyle Alexander because he's going to make a difference. We may have to give up this kid named John Smoltz. He might be good someday with Atlanta. You can't predict that. So if you have a shot, go for it. And now there's a lot of great players that can make a big, big difference this week in a trade. Well, you go back years ago when Steven Strasburg was a rookie and the Nationals shut him down. Uh, maybe not a rookie, but very early in his career, they shut him down in September and said, we're not bringing him back under any circumstances, and they lost in the playoffs. And you say, geez, you know, what would have happened if he had played and pitched? Could they have made a postseason run? And they eventually got there in 2019, but it was a longer wait than maybe it could have been. You got to, you know, you can plan for tomorrow, but sometimes you got to live for today. And if you think you can win, look, it's it's not always about who has the best record at the end of September going in October. It's who's hot at the right time. And if you have the right players and the right components for postseason, that's been one of my, my complaints with the Yankees all these years. They've had a team built great for the regular season, but you're not facing four and five starters in the playoffs. And they, uh, the great offenses they've had were shut down a lot in the last few years, evidenced by one World Series title in 20 years there. So, yeah, if you have a chance, and that's why I like San Diego. I, I'm interested to see what they do. I've heard Kimbrell to there. A.J. Preller is not shy about pulling the trigger and 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 trying to win now. And and quick thought, if Toronto happens to get there and win a World Series, does the city of Buffalo get to claim at least a partial world championship in they a sport? Should. Yeah, and Dunedin. I'll yeah, give it to I them. I'll, I'll give it to the city of Buffalo just because they have the Sabres there. And I'm not even sure if they haven't been relegated down to the ECHL. Man, they should, for sure. Uh, to your point, I think what I like most about the Padres is that they have done what so many teams have not. And, like, their offseason moves were huge. They signed their guys to the big contract. They traded for guys. They just traded for Frazier from Pittsburgh. The dude's an all-star. And I know he's a second baseman, but he's a bat. He leads made the major leagues with 125 hits, and the guy's 29 years old. Like, they are doing what they think will put them over the top ultimately, because look at that division. They know that they they have to make moves if they're going to move up, you know, three and a half games in the wild card and catch whoever they need to catch. They're doing what they need to do, and I think that's what you have to do. Aroldis Chapman is the prime example of, you know, do what you need to do to win. The Cubs went and got him. He helped them win a World Series. And I also think if if you are not there, people are not quick enough to sell, in my opinion. 
They're not quick enough to get rid of pieces and get pieces in return. You can get rid of a guy who's on a one, you know, it's a rental, the one-year contract, like Araldis was, <clears throat> and you can get three or four guys from a farm system who are pretty darn good if somebody thinks the guy you're going to give them is going to win a World Series for them. Like, more teams need to do that. More teams need to sell and better their, themselves in the future and don't. Well, that's how the Indians got good years ago, actually, with getting by Airgun Bell and kids that they, they dealt veterans to get those kids. What's amazing in San Diego, okay, wouldn't you say it's a small market? So how come these other small markets, Pittsburgh, et cetera, struggle and say, we can't get it done, and the minute we get a kid good, he's gone? But this is what's amazing with the Padre ownership. Maybe five, six years ago, they went out and made a run for it, dealt all these kids, got Matt Kemp, got Myers, who's still there. He flamed out a bit. But they went for it, and it fell apart. And they were stuck with contracts. And I thought it would take 10 years for them to come back. And here they are now with kids like Tati, who is the face of baseball, because he'll be in the playoffs, unlike poor Trout. So the San Diego story is, is absolutely incredible. It's a gorgeous ballpark in a beautiful city. And it's remarkable that they went after it yet again after getting burned a few years ago. So for the you other small market teams, take a look out at sunny San Diego and see how it should be done. Well, it's also sunny in 75. That's an easy sell for most people. Doesn't hurt, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, I think Tatis is the MVP for me, but I do think Shohei holds on to it. I think he's just such a phenomenon, and I don't think people will get past he would really have to have some sort of meltdown for people to kind of forget about what he's been able to do, not only with the bat, but also pitching and just the fact that nobody else does it. I'm not sure that anyone forget will forget that, even though his team will not make the playoffs. They're 10 games back. It's amazing to me. I've watched more Angels baseball in the last three, four months than I probably ever have in my life. And that was even with Mike Trout on that team. I never watched Angels baseball. But now they show Angels highlights every night on ESPN, even more than they were. And, and I just think the Angels are such, such a fun group to watch. And Shohei is really, for me, the reason that they're a fun group to watch with Trout having been hurt, especially. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with the Angels. You think about what might have been this year. I, I saw a stat the other day since 2017, I believe it was, Trout has missed 26% of his team's games. Uh, and it seems like the guy's been healthy most of his career. Maybe it's just taking a toll. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of too bad for them. They still don't have a lot of pitching. But, yeah, Shohei's been a great story. Uh, to me, he's the story of the year in baseball. And, uh, you know, he, he stole the show at the All-Star game as it should have been. You know, he is a rare talent. But, uh, you know, they got to figure it out. You talk about Eric. You talk about small market teams like San Diego getting it together. I don't know what's going on in the Angels. They're in Los Angeles, Okay. Yeah, they won a World Series back in the early 2000s, but they they haven't had a sniff in 20 years. Their, their pitching has constantly been injured. Every single year you read about when Richards was there or Heaney or these other pitchers constantly hurt for the last seven or eight years that has taken them out of it. There's a great quote I read recently about Albert Pujols, and he saw Otani uh, in spring training for the first time after he picked up his, his jaw – he called Mark McGuire. He said, this kid's got one of the sweetest swings I've seen. This kid, the ball jumps up. He went off about him. McGuire said, calm down, calm down. All of a sudden, McGuire calls Pujols back. Yeah, you're right. This, Ashley, you were exactly right. Let's watch this kid whenever we have the chance. We have MLB extra innings. If the Angels are home, I might have to set the alarm to watch that kid. And congrats to him for all that he did at that All-Star game to have to pitch the next day after being worn out in that home run derby. It wears you out, and now you're going to pitch. He can be a tremendous face for baseball and a role model to all. We are very fortunate that we can see him play. Agreed. Yeah, I think NL East, guys, for me, I know, Sean, you mentioned the Mets. Three and a half up, I would be more concerned potentially about the Braves if I'm them, especially because, listen, the next three games for them are huge. If the Braves sweep, they've all of a sudden reinserted themselves into like, oh boy, we should be worried. And if they don't get Jacob deGrom back or he is not himself, which we saw him kind of just be average in his final two or three starts, if they don't get him back to being the guy that gets them a win every time out and, and you know, only gives up one run, then 
I don't know that I see that team coming out of that division only because like the Phillies are interesting at times and the Braves could be interesting as well, even without Acuna. Yeah, the Phillies have that arson squad of the bullpen that Eric talked about. I think that's what's going to keep them home. Um, you you have you have to be able to pitch nine innings. You know, there's no seven inning baseball doubleheaders in the playoffs. So uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be Phillies undoing. All right. Well, we are called across the board for a reason, right, boys? Yes, we are. All right. Um, I'm gonna. Eric, you want to go first with your big board segment here? So we're going to throw up a word or a phrase or or whatever is on our mind and, and get on our soapbox a little bit. And uh, we'll let Eric go first. Cleveland baseball. Now, little history lesson, okay? The Cleveland Spiders, remember that name. They competed as a major league team in the late 1800s, 11 years in the National League. The name Spiders debuted in their first NL season. And the reason was they wore black and gray uniforms and the players were skinny, long-limbed players. They looked like spiders. There's your name. Now, I'm not saying today that the team should change its name to the Cleveland Muscles, okay, because of the beefed-up players of today. But one of the original American League franchises was Cleveland. It was called the Cleveland Bluebirds, okay, before it changed. Again, the key word here, as they both know to me, is tradition. Here's some examples. Ottawa's expansion team took the Senators, a name from an earlier NHL franchise in Canada's capital. Washington's had two tries before the Nats. They started as the Senators before they headed to Minnesota. The expansion Senators, who were equally as abysmal than the other Senators, they were named the Senators, and then they went off to Texas and took manager Ted Williams with them. Now, some would say the Spiders were dreadful, so I read where a reporter said, don't use spiders because they were awful. All right, if that's the case, then why didn't the Mets change their team nickname in 1963 for anybody that had to watch Casey Stengel's fiasco in 62? Cy Young was a young emerging star with the Spiders, okay? And no, you two, I did not see him pitch. No, I don't even think my grandfather did. My point is tradition. So, in closing on this piece with Cleveland, I have nothing against two 1932 sculptures and a bridge. But to me, it should have been spiders. The mascot could have been Speedy Spider. And Raid could have been a corporate sponsor. It's a bitchy spider, too. I, I think it should have been spiders as well. To me, Guardians is too close to Indians. Um, um, they might as well have been the, the Cleveland baseball team. Like the Washington football team. Cleveland rocks and get Drew, Drew Carey out there more. Or the Cleveland wild things. Like, I don't care. Have some fun with it for once. Yeah, right? Let's let's get wild. All right. You want me to go, Shawnee? Go for it. Management. Ooh. I was going to write Twitter, but I quickly thought better of it because it's not Twitter's fault that management sucks in a lot of ways. So, I'm, and this came to me today. I'm reading about the trade of the great Marc-Andre Fleury from the Vegas Golden Knights today to the Chicago Blackhawks. And doesn't a reporter from the athletic tweet that the way Marc-Andre Fleury found out he was being traded was through Twitter was through Twitter. The guy found he's a Vesna trophy winner. The guy found out he was getting traded through Twitter. Are you kidding me? This is supposed to be a professional sports organization. I understand that there are media members who are in deep and have very good connections, but you better make sure that when you trade, not just a player, not just some guy who doesn't play and nobody knows his name yet. When you trade a guy like Mark Andre Fleury, that Mark Andre Fleury finds out from you, not from social media, not from his mom, not from his teammate, <laughs> from management. Why can't management get this right? This is not the first time that this happened, that a player has found out through social media that he's part of a trade. And we're not talking about the guy to be the fourth round pick, the minor league player to be named later. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a star player learning he's been traded on Twitter. Get it together. Vegas. I'm calling you out Vegas, but they're, but they're not the only ones. This is just a problem all the way throughout. Like, when you're in those discussions, you better make sure he's your first phone call when that thing gets made official. <laughs> yes. 
You're right, Ashley. Where's the PR person in that? Shawnee, you're up. All righty. The hashtag of the Oakland A's baseball team has been rooted in Oakland. Well, guess what? They need to change it, sadly. I grew up as a kid in the California Bay Area. Like anyone, there were good times and not so good times, but the best of times came from my fandom of the Oakland-based professional sports teams. And what a time we had. The A's won the World Series in 1972 when I was seven and again in 73. Following my father's passing due to a car accident in the summer of 74, the do-it-once-more A's made it three in a row that October. The 75 Warriors NBA title and the 76 Raiders Super Bowl run were followed by my Mervyn's Department Store Little League Championship in 1977. <laughs> it was a great six-year span for everyone. Sports were a big part of my life. They still are. I identify with those teams, those players, and where they called home. Last week, the Oakland City Council passed a resolution approving a plan to allow a new ballpark to be built for the A's. This should have put some hop and skip into my jump, but guess what? It didn't. The resolution offered terms that had not been previously disclosed to the A's, including items the team had already said were non-starters to any agreement. Within hours of the vote, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff stood in front of the media and offered up a BS statement that encouraged the A's to accept the deal. What the mayor was really doing was setting the stage for the A's to be the bad guys in all this. If and when this deal falls through, Schaff is playing the role of victim, the same ploy she used when the Raiders left town, though she never had any intention of dealing with Mark Davis. Major League Baseball and the athletics get some of the blame in this mess too, but Schaff's spin on this offer, it's the act of a coward. Cowards will blame others to sway public opinion rather than face the heat that comes with, you know, actually telling the truth. To that, I say this. What the f***? Listen here, Colonel Jessup, I can handle the truth, so why not let me decide how to process this reality instead of grandstanding and playing the blame game? My read is the city doesn't have the funds to kick in, though a deal would benefit Oakland financially, or the city just doesn't want to swing a deal. Either way, it's a shame since the Raiders are the last professionals, or the A's are the last professional sports team left in the city that had three just a couple of years ago. I get it. The now outdated Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, as I fondly remember it, opened in 1968. In its youth, the charm was in its people. The people being the vendors and the fans that made being in the stands for A's and Raiders games so special. I get why Schaff didn't care if the Raiders left town. It was a business partnership gone bad in the early 80s, and it actually got worse when the team returned from L.A. in 1995. The Dubs moving to San Francisco isn't quite as bad, but... You can't tell me it doesn't bother blue-collar Oaklanders just a little bit that their hoops team is now across the bay in wine and cheese San Francisco. If this is a true negotiation, Soph is playing a dangerous game, one that she's playing like she has a pocket pair of aces in her hand when she's actually holding an unsuited 7-2. The A's have already been looking elsewhere, including Vegas, the city the Raiders moved to and immediately enhanced the value of their franchise. Yeah, Oakland owner John Fisher is a billionaire who runs his team like he's a thousandaire. But I do believe the A's ownership groups over the years were at one point invested in keeping the team in the Bay. But when you start looking around and see dollar signs in places like Vegas, it's hard not to listen. Money attracts money. When team when Oakland team president Dave Caval live tweeted video of himself uh, part of a rabid crowd at a Vegas Gold Knight playoff game while the A's had a home game going on, it wasn't an accident. It was a message. So where does this leave us? The clock is ticking. It's still too soon to tell how this round of blame the other guys is going to play out. I think the team ends up in Vegas with Fisher and Caval looking to seize the right moment to get out of town when the timing is right and put this back on shop in the city. Remember what I said about cowards. The current effect is on the fans, older and younger, who have ridden this new stadium roller coaster since the days when I had a full head of hair. For diehards, the connection their teams have to a city means something. I never bought any Raider items that had L.A. on it, and I probably won't do it now that they're in Vegas. They'll always be the Oakland Raiders. They'll always be the Oakland A's to me. My childhood was filled with heroes like Catfish and Reggie, Campy and Raleigh, Vida, Joe, Gino, Claudel and Captain Sal, Rick Barry and Al Adels, the, the Snake and the Stork, Foo, Twos and the Man from Mars, Freddie Stickham and Cliff Branch, Speed Kills. The Ghost, C.D. and Van Egan running left behind Shell and Upshaw. The Soul Patrol secondary of Dr. Death and the Assassin, Atkinson and Old Man Willie. And Games, The Sea of Hands, 
Sugar Bear Hamilton's assault on Kenny Stabler in the 76 playoffs, Eric, the Goat <laughs> and the Holy Roller. Over a half a century of great sports teams, characters, and memories in Oakland, though the ones I just mentioned occurred in less than a 10-year span. Sure, the Raiders are gone now, but let's put the egos and politics aside, keep the A's, and more importantly, professional sports in Oakland where they belong. Do you feel better? <laughs> uh, hold on. Hold on. Coffee. <laughs> you got to send that to the mayor. Yeah, right. No, Look at him. Send it out. If she'll unblock me on Twitter, maybe I can. Oh, man, you're a, you can get blocked <laughs> on Twitter a lot, huh? Yeah. Feisty one. I do. I love I it. Do. Well, we won't get too feisty on our Twitter handle, which, by the way, if you missed out on it, MMMATB1. That stands for M and M and M across the board. This was our debut episode, gentlemen. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to do this again, right? Absolutely. Every week. Every week we'll do it. We hope you join <laughs> in. Outside of Twitter, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Look us up. I'm Ashley Miller. That is, I'm, I'm pointing in the right direction. Yep. Perfect. That is Sean Martin. And yep, that is Eric McDowell. We've had a great time. We hope you join us next week. We're going to talk all, all kinds of sports uh, across the board. m and m and m across the board. It's been fun, guys. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank you.